what I'm going to do is kind of recap what we have been uh, sharing in the past uh, couple couple weeks. We did a series, started a series on being a church that God wants us to be. Not a church where we want to be, but a church that God wants us to be. Uh, there's a difference uh, being a church that God wants us to be versus a church that we should be. Because the church that we should be, uh, we decide how it's going to be like. And then we tell the Lord, uh, this is your will. It's more or less imposing on God uh, our will on Him. And what God is really interested in is people who can really obey the Lord and do what he's doing and join him and be the church that he wants us to be. And so that's really important. And uh, we started out with uh, sharing with the church vision, that the church vision that God has called us in is to bring people into a relationship with him, to build people up and further God's kingdom. And we talk about furthering God's kingdom. What we're really interested in is practicing what Jesus did, which is proclaim the gospel. Uh, to proclaim and teach about what the kingdom principle is about, cast out evil, and, and bring healing. And in the process of that, you and I uh, will face spiritual warfare. And people say, are there demons? Absolutely, there are demons. Is there evil? Absolutely, there's evil. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what kingdom work is about. And so definitely you'll be attacked. And, and then uh, two weeks ago, I started sharing with you what is important to God. What is so important to God? And when I think about what's important to God, it's like a person who would have the last wish. If you're going to die, uh, you know, let's say God tells you, and you know you're going to pass away, what would you say that's really important? And I started out with uh, three things that are really important. First is your faith is based on love. It is expressed because you love the Lord. And the second thing I shared with you is last week, that God is interested that we keep his commandments, that we obey him, and that God has called us divinely into a relationship with him. And in this divine relationship that we're called to, ask us to obey him. And, but that obedience is not based on obligation, but that obedience is based on love, that we as believers respond uh, in our love for God. And today what we're going to look at is the third part that's really important to God. And this is important for us as a church. And it's summed up in being a new creation. And we're going to look at what it means to be a new creation and why that is really important. So let's uh, look at our scriptures together in uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. Here then, the word of the Lord. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, the reason why Paul says that is a lot of times uh, the gospel, the books that he wrote, uh, was sometimes dictated by his secretary. And so when he says, look, I'm writing it, what he's saying is, this is really important to me. This is so important for you that you listen to me. And, and this is really extremely critical in your faith walk with Jesus. And so that's how he starts out with. So what's so important? Let's look at the next verses. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of, cross of Christ. 
Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and into the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything that counts in this new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. Let us pray. Lord, as we open up your word, may the thoughts and meditation of my heart be pleasing uh, in thy sight. And as we think about what it means to be a new creation, why this is so important, help us to understand this and follow you in, in the ways that you want us to be. And so, Lord, speak through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, what does it mean when you say, what does it mean to be a new, Christ, uh, new creation? What it really means is being a Christian. Uh, what Paul is going to do, and what we're going to look at in this passage, is the meaning of being a Christian. Uh, what does it mean to be a new creation? And, and the struggles that is involved in being a new creation. Now, in the book of Galatians, what we see in the context is the uh, Gentile world have come to the Lord. And so they're becoming Christians. The Jewish Christians believe that if you become a Christian, you need to be a Jewish person-like by following their rules and be circumcised. And they're known as Judaizers. And they come to the Galatian churches and all the churches that Paul established and start advocating uh, legality. Christianity plus works. Christianity plus these laws that you have to follow. And there's this struggle among Gentiles who are really confused. And the confusion is, you mean a Christian is not just by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and it doesn't matter what kind of race you are and so and so. The confusion is, the Judaizers or legalists would say, yes, you need to be circumcised, you men. And yes, you need to follow the laws of Moses. This is really important. Now, if you talk about laws of Moses, let's talk about modern-day context. Uh, you know, you cannot have, you know, McDonald's, you know why? Even though some of you might not like it. Look, it's like In-N-Out Burger, right? You cannot eat that because it's not kosher proven. You, 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 you cannot eat, uh, you know, things that are un, unclean, right? You cannot eat, uh, how many guys like pork? Pork chop? I love, you know, the Chinese dishes, you know, dry pork. Are you guys getting hungry? You can eat that. How many guys like lobster? You can eat that. How many guys like crab? You can eat that. You see the list goes on. And me being a foodie, I would just starve to death uh, being a person who followed this kind of law. Now, uh, come on a Sabbath, you know, then put in a modern day language, you cannot drive to church because you're supposed to rest. You got to walk to church. And then you cannot turn on the light. You know why? That's work. You got to ask someone, can you turn the light for me? You got to ask a Gentile to do that. And so if you're thinking about this kind of rules, then Christianity that Jesus preached about, which is salvation by grace, that's the gospel. What, what do you mean by that? Let, let's, 
Let's not make this Christian language. Salvation by grace is this. I live life doing my best to be the best I can be, and it's my achievement. If you follow the certain methods, you can be very successful and prosperous. Salvation by grace is this. You can never make it on your own in life because you cannot control people. You cannot control circumstances. You cannot control whatever happens to you. You can walk out and all of a sudden you can get a stroke. Heaven forbid that happens to you. Uh, you, you might be involved in a car accident. Certain things might happen to you, uh, unfortunate things. You can control those things, nor can you control what people think about you. You can try all you want through social media, portraying who you are, but you can't control what they think about you, what their judgment is about you. And therefore, no matter what you do, it doesn't really matter in one aspect. What's really important is then, I can live myself on my own, but I need the power of God. I surrender. That's what it means. It means I'm a sinner. I cannot make it on my own. I'm not perfect. Right? And I need a greater power to help me to overcome the difficulties in life. And, and that's what the gospel message is about. What it really says is this. You don't need to do certain things to be saved. What that means is to have a relationship with God. You don't need to do certain rituals to be a Christian. You know, in, in the Buddhist world, they talked about, you know, reaching a certain state and what, what you need to do to, to reach that kind of stage. You don't need to do that. Uh, the intimacy that you're looking for, the love relationship that, is, that you're looking for is right there for you. And so if you look at the gospel, uh, I would summarize it this way, uh, Romans 10, 9 to 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, so let me translate it. If you declare with your mouth that I surrender everything to the Lord and I'll try my best to live for him and believe in your heart, so I genuinely believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we say saved, what that really means is you will have eternal relationship, a loving relationship where you're affirmed no matter who you are. How many guys would like to have that kind of relationship? You know, there's no A's or B's or C's in heaven. Everyone's an A student. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, there, there's no like a class system. You're better than that person. You are valued the same by the Lord. That's wonderful. You don't have to do anything because you just love unconditionally. And then it says here, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So basically what it's saying is, if you genuinely believe from your heart, and, and there's different types of beliefs, right? When we say believe, it's more or less, you know, I can tell you, uh, I went to Boston this week. How many guys believe me? Now, some of you say, I believe you because you're a pastor. Now, Stephen's raising his hand because he took me, 
could, uh, he drove into the airport. He saw evidence that I'm taking the air, you know, plane. Okay, a uh, lot of times believing is like conviction that is true. And I'm telling you, that's what we call step of faith. Believe in your heart. As scripture says, anyone who believes in will be never put shame. And we talk about shame. There's no shame. God will not shame you for believing in him. All that God does is he loves you. You know, a lot of times people have dysfunctions uh, within the family because parents often shame us. Relatives shame us because we cannot be up to par to their accomplishments. And something I just want to encourage you, when you become a parent, please don't talk about what they should become or what they should do to be loved. Practice the exercise of loving unconditionally. That's what God does. He doesn't shame you. He loves you. And then, as the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be shamed, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The, the same Lord is Lord of all, richly blesses all call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's the gospel message. There is no privileges of either being a Jew or non-Jew. It doesn't matter. Your value just the same. Black, yellow, Hispanic, white. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. Your value just the same. We're human beings. What makes you so ethnocentric? What makes you so better? We're all human beings loved by God. And so what Paul is advocating is this then. If you become a Christian, there's no real work requirements. All I want you to do is believe in Jesus Christ from your heart and accept him into your life, accept his lordship over you, and, and commit yourself to live the best you can for him. And know that you'll fail, but it's okay because we're living by the grace of God. No strings attached. But the Judaizers are creating this struggle. And the struggle is, no, 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 that's not true. You got to do this, you got to do that. And if you don't do your quiet time, you're not right with God. And if you don't pray, you're not right with God. Uh, if you don't come to church, there's something wrong with you. And it's legalism. Oh, if you don't wear a suit. You know, what I hated the most uh, attending my father's church was wearing a suit all the time. I hated wearing suits. Now, there's nothing wrong wearing suits, though. If you feel led by the Lord to wear a suit, feel free. Okay, uh, because there's a theology behind that. We want to look our best for the Lord. But, you know, when it becomes a rule that I have to wear a suit to feel right with God, there's something wrong here. And this is what the legalists are, are, are saying. And so Paul goes on describing their traits, the traits of people who are legalistic and traits of people who are not legalistic. So what are the traits? Look at verse 12 to 13. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So what are the legalists into? They're really into uh, this, this first verse, which talks about impressing people. How I look, how I drive, what, I, what car I drive. I, my spirituality is based on that so much, how I behave. 
you know, you know, I'm a third generation pastor's uh, kid. And so we know how to, how to act. We know how to behave. And when I hear my kids talk about their struggles of being pastor kids, and I just feel sorry for them because my father felt sorry for me too because it was PK. You know why? We got to act to be a Christian. And, and a lot of times the legalists are into this acting to show they're really faithful. I'll give you a specific example. You know, when people are praying, you really don't want to pray, but now you want to look right with God, so you're praying. Are you guys in the mood to pray? Absolutely not. But I want to feel right with God. And God knows this. If your motive first is to please other people, to show that you're more spiritual. I, I remember, uh, you know, working really hard to be loved. You guys ever done that? You know, like, you know, uh, to earn someone's love. It's like a, like a, you know, puppy, you know. They have to do certain things to earn, you know, that kind of love. And they love you unconditionally. Uh, you don't need to do that. And, and the gospel doesn't teach that. That's what legalists want to do. And then they boast about how spiritual they are. They boast about it. Now, one commentator wrote this way. The most dangerous thing that can happen to you is that you become proud of your obedience. Think about that. Our greatest danger, our greatest mistake is that we look to ourselves and our, and our obedience rather than to Jesus Christ. Biggest danger is to say, I'll live my Christian life the way I think is most important. And that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. And that legalists believe in this so much that your outside appearance, the way you behave is more important than what's really going inside. It's more or less transformation from outside in. And the true transformation needs to come from inside out. And, and it says here that they wanted to avoid persecution. Now, let me share with you what this text is about. Uh, in the times of Paul, if you were a Jew, you weren't persecuted. Uh, even Christians who are Jews were not persecuted, Jewish Christians. Why? Because they were under already the suppression of the Roman imperialist, anyhow, and they had they're already part of the system. And so a lot of these legalists wanted these Christians, uh, Gentile Christians, to, to avoid persecution. And Paul is saying, heck with that. When you're a believer in Christ, you will be persecuted. People will look at you as weird. They will, they will look down on you because of your faith. It's different. And so don't let them bother you. But the legalists are concerned about that, and they're concerned about persecution. And so this is what verse uh, talks about. This verse talks about you demonstrate your faith by your action, and that's what's important. And, and also we're concerned about what people think about us, and also I don't want you to be persecuted. So you kind of have to say certain things and not stand up for your faith. You know, I think Christianity is really boring and timid if you don't stand for what we believe in. You know, uh, crazy people change the world. And I'm a Jesus freak. I'm crazy. You know why? I want to be a person who stands for Jesus because I want to, 
and because I experienced the love of God. Is that what you want? God is asking us to stand firm. Don't worry about what other people think about you. Don't say, oh, no Christian. Oh, people are looking at me. I don't want to pray, you know. What would they think? You know, God is working already, right? And if you obey him, let's say you, you pray before you eat. Let's say you do the certain actions that's different than non-Christian. This is a great way that God can use you to be a salt and light. Do you want to be salt and light? Don't hide it. Just don't hide it. Just be you. And that's what's important. And the values of the world, you know, think about it. Even sexuality, you know, now, now we have different categories. Transgender, you know, uh, homosexuality, sex before marriage. Oh, if you love someone, every movie I've seen so far, I haven't seen that many movies uh, because I had four kids and those movie times are gone. Finally, I'm, I'm an empty nest. I can see more. Uh, but every movie I've seen so far is if you love someone, you've got to have sex with the person before marriage. Do you think that's what the Bible teaches? The Bible never teaches that. Sex is an act of love that God created between male and a female. And we say, that's okay. You've got to stand up for what you believe in. But don't condemn people. God hasn't called us to you know, carry banners saying, you sinners go to hell. If you look at John chapter 3, 18, he said, 17 says, For the Son of Man did not come to this world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come here to condemn you, but to save the world. Jesus is in the saving business. Do you understand? But we need to be a person who lives out our conviction and be proud of it. Because God made us that way. And so, the people here have been advocating a church, a church community that is based on your action, but not from the heart. Now, I'm not here who want to criticize Christian churches. You know why? The Bible says whoever is an accuser of the brethren is of the devil. But I, too, on the other hand, want to point out teachings that are wrong. And so there's this church called the, uh, it started out as the Boston Church of Christ, and became LA International Church of Christ. And this movement equates it this way. To be a Christian, you need to be a disciple maker. So the uh, Bible verse they use is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. If you look at your subtitle, the greatest great commission, that's what it says in your Bible. They say the greatest commandment of God is that you be a disciple maker. Now, if you look at that, that looks deceiving. Yeah, that's true. But then they go, we're the only church who are believers, and I want you to prove your faith by bringing people into our church, because most people don't know Christ except the way we believe in, and be baptized in our church, and the pressure that you have to live. What kind of pressure? I, I've been counseling a lot of people who went through this kind of uh, church kind of environment. Uh, they're now called the City of Angels Church. Uh, in fact, when we were meeting at UCLA, in fact, one of the members used to recruit me to come to their church. So I'm preaching at our church. I was, no, it's okay. You can become a Christian in my church. It's this kind of mentality. But when I observe them from an outside point of view, they feel so guilty that they're not making disciples. It's a competition. 
Who can make the most disciples? Who can bring most people to church? Do you want to come to church where we're in a competition to make UBC, you know, as big as we can be? Don't come here. That's not what we're into. Come to church because you want to experience the love of God. Come to church because you want to experience grace. And that's what, what the gospel is all about. So this is their trait. Now, verse 13, here's the other traits. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So what they're, I said before, what they're interested in verse 13 is to boast about how many people are converted into their way of believing. But also, here's the point. They cannot even keep up the law. I mean, you guys ever try to refrain for something that you really like quite a bit, right? Uh, for me, it's food. Uh, and it's very addictive to uh, refrain, not to eat that kind of, kind of food. I like to eat all sorts of food. You know, and to say, today, I'm not going to do it at all. Boy, you need the power of God to stop eating, you know. Uh, I think about going, you know, what's so beautiful about L.A. and the East Coast? There's a huge difference. Uh, how many guys are avid ethnic food eaters? Uh, if you go to East Coast, if you go to East Coast like Boston, clam chowder is the best, okay? Uh, they know how to make it, right? Uh, different regions, have to, but L.A., that's one of the best foods from the world, man. If you want to try Ethiopian food, there's Fairfax, you know. If you want to go have, you know, uh, Afghani food, there's a restaurant here. If you want to try all sorts of food, uh, Peruvian food, uh, you know, Inca Pollo, there's Mexican food, you know, tacos, por favor. There's Filipino food, there's, you know, Japanese food, there's different kinds of Japanese sushi. I mean, this is food haven, and someone tells you, don't eat that kind of food, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> Literally, I'm going to die. It's so hard to control it on my own. I need some, something else to help me to keep this kind of rule that I make for myself. So this is what legalists do. And sometimes this question is about you. Are you a legalist about your faith? That your faith is based on what you do versus your heart? I'll give you an example. If I don't have a quiet time with God, I'm not right with God. I forgot to read the Bible this morning. You know what God's really concerned about? You can have a quiet time for the sake of pleasing yourself to be right with God, but if you don't get it, if you don't really understand what you have your quiet time on, do you think God is pleased? You know, you could pray, but if you don't really mean it, do you think God is happy? Think about it. You want attention from someone, but they're not paying attention to you, but they're, they're in, in your presence. Do you like that? This is legalism. And God wants us to refrain from that and be the people who live by the grace of God. And this is the crux of the passage. Look at verse 15. Let's read it together. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything that counts is the new creation. Circumcision, neither you are a legalist or non-legalist, whether you're Jew or non-Jew, that doesn't mean jack, Pastor Soon's uh, definition of this. What's really important is that you be a new creation. 
So what is it? What is it to be a new creation? New creation is this. I accepted a lifestyle that lives by the power of God. 1 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, new is here. Your identity of your faith, of who you are, is based on Jesus Christ. It's not based on what you do. You accept it because God loves you no matter what you do. Now, God might not agree with the things you do, though. He doesn't like sin, but he still loves you. It's just like I'm a parent of four, and I'm telling you, uh, before you have children, think, think a lot. It's uh, really a form of discipleship for parents, too, uh, because you never thought your kids would do this, you would do that. And, and one thing I learned is, even though they make a mistake, I still love them. God's heart is like that for you. He loves you even though you make a mistake. You don't need to live in shame. You don't need to live in guilt. Oh, I was this person. You know, it's miserable to live in guilt. Don't you, don't you hate that? New creation, you're free because you're loved. You chose a new lifestyle that's in Jesus Christ. You chose to be the best you can be living by the grace of God. Did you hear me? Best you can be because you will sin. Just becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you're, you're sinless. You will sin. But the key to Christianity is even though I sin, and it doesn't give you license to sin whenever you want to, I'm going to repent. So I'm going to try my best to turn that around. And over time, I'm going to nip this kind of habit in the bud. So give you an example. You know, when I was younger, I hated giving tips to uh, waiters and waitresses. You know why? I sometimes wonder, why should I give this kind of money to waiters and waitresses? Uh, when they're just serving, they get paid anyhow. Why should I give that kind of tip? You know? And especially those who do bad service. And, and God, over time, Show me what it means to be a waiter and waitress by having encounters with them in relationship and see how difficult it is and how wonderful it is to understand their circumstances and how wonderful it is, if you can, to tip them as much as you can. But that didn't happen over time. Or some of us struggle with embellishing the truth. You know, when I was growing up, you know, it was really important to portray this kind of image. Uh, I'm a good student, even though I am, I'm not. You know, people say, what'd you get on the exam? You know, I say, I, I aced the test, even though I got a B. You know, if you got a C, you say, I got a B. You know, just kind of upmanship, right? Or, or what school you went to meant so much. And what God's concerned about is not that. He's concerned about you. And he doesn't care what you do. He doesn't care about your image, he doesn't care about what you have done or failed in, he still loves you no matter what. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, for his compassions are new, they're new every morning. For compassions never fail, they're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God loves you no matter what. Do you believe that? Say that to someone. God loves you even though you're a sinner. 
so when you see those people who uh, carry a banner saying, you sinners go to hell, you say, I'm a sinner. Are you a sinner too? I hope you don't go to hell too. <laughs> because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And believers in Jesus Christ are never condemned. And I do believe there is hell. But we need to embrace people with love. That's what we're called to do. Not condemnation, but in the saving business. And that's the new you. I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live. The life I live in Christ. I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You got a new life. It's in Christ who loves you no matter what. I live by faith. And being a Christian, that's what it means, new. I'm dying to my old nature. It's a transformative process. Being a Christian is not staying the same. Being a Christian is you either go forward or you can go backward. Forward in that you're transforming to be like him or backward if you don't do anything. What's the difference? question you need to ask is, what's the difference between you and a non-Christian? Now, you might say, oh, my actions need to be different. The only difference is this. You've been saved by the grace of God, and we're trying our best to be like Christ. And hopefully, that your lifestyle is changing to the best as you can. That's what God is asking us to do. Because you live not by your own, but by the power of God who transforms you. And your transformation is based on a love relationship. And that's why it's so important. And so Paul says, a person who's a Christian, may I never boast except on the cross of Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Your purpose in life is to honor the Lord, to love the Lord. Now, those who are loved want to love back, right? God loves you unconditionally. My purpose in life is not what I do, but to honor you back. Uh, I was at a uh, trustees meeting at Gordon-Conwell, and they were celebrating one of my mentors. He used to come to UP to preach, J. Christy Wilson. He started Urbana. Uh, it's a missions conference that students go to every three years. Twenty to 40,000 people show up, commit themselves to missions. What was really interesting during that memorial service was, uh, because J. Christy Wilson passed away many years ago, was the amazing humility that he has amidst his accomplishments. You know, he went to Lawrence School, a prep school in uh, Princeton, uh, New Jersey. Near, it's a town called Lawrence. Princeton University graduated number one in his class, track star, Princeton Seminary, went to Edinburgh to get his PhD, and he wants to go to Afghanistan as a teacher. Now, who wants to go to a foreign country as a teacher? If you get a PhD, you can go to university to be a professor, not as a teacher. But he went there to teach English. That's powerful. And during the ceremony, people were talking about all the things that he accomplished. And one of his older sons said, 
My father would never want you to compliment about what he did, but to give God the glory because it was God who helped him to be like who he is. We're celebrating our 30 years as a church. I hope you don't compliment how good this church is or what me and Esther did. That really doesn't matter. I hope we can honor the Lord and glorify him. The Westminster Confession says, it's one of our Presbyterian creeds. Confession says, what is the chief end of man? is to glorify God, to honor God and to glorify Him. You and I are called to honor Him. What does that mean? I didn't do it on my own. I did it because it's the Lord. And I want all motives flow because my relationship with the Lord. Why are you starting an orphanage? Because it's the Lord. Why am I doing this kind of profession? To honor God. Why do I want to help people? To honor the Lord. This is what the Lord wants me to do. You see the difference? Instead of, I do this to make money, to be wealthy, and to buy a home, and blah, blah, blah. It's so sad. Uh, Then you die. It's really sad. That's why if you look at Matthew chapter 16, what good will be someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? It don't really mean much to accomplish things. What's more important is this, Philippians 3.8. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my God, my Lord. For those sake, I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Uh, one of the Billy Graham's of Chinese evangelism, his name was John Soon. He died in the 30s. He came to the States and got his master's degree and everything. By the time he was like 16, you know, you know those smart people who are extremely brilliant, got all the degrees, and he's going back to China. He throws all his degrees away. What an example. God's not really interested about your credentials. God loves you for who you are, and he values you. And after reading the stories about John Sung, I never took out my degrees to be hung anymore. Uh, Esther's and mine degrees are in the closet. Uh, It never came out. Why? Because the chief end of my purpose in life, and I hope it's us as a church, is to glorify him. So what is the purpose of the church? To honor the Lord in all that we do that it is not us, but it is him. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for, for the glory of God. Everything that you do is to honor the Lord. So in summary, legalists crave approval of people. Verse 12, they want to avoid persecution. They want to be the in cloud. They are concerned about what people think about them. Their appearance matter. Legalists are driven by the guilt that they might not be right with God, but the ones who live by the grace of God are driven by the love of God, and we enjoy this new creation. We don't, we don't dwell in shame. We don't dwell in guilt. We're driven because we want to love God, because we experience the love of God.
That's what's important. Those are the characteristics. So the importance. Why is it so important to understand this? It's so that you can experience agape love. The gospel teaches us that God's love is unconditional. That you can understand that your life is not driven by what people think or what you do, but your life is driven because you're so loved. You know, Ephesians chapter 3, 17 to 19 says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, your life is foundational in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, and high, deep in the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, what is it saying? Let's do this. Wide. Put your hand out like this. You can hit someone. It's all right. <laughs> okay. Wide. Deep. Right? Look up high. That, that's how much he loves you. It's just amazing. Right? And you're driven because you're loved. It doesn't matter the way you look. It doesn't matter of your accomplishments. It doesn't matter what school you went to. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It really don't matter. It doesn't matter the way you dress. God just loves you as who you are. Who you are. Not what you do. God loves you for who you are. His love is deep. And because of this, what are the results? I call it radical transformation. What is it? Verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel God. So when he talks about peace and mercy, one of our goals in life is to be at peace. The reason why there's so much people who have depression or emotional problems is that they're not happy about themselves. They cannot take the emotional stress that comes their way. And their, their strive to be performance-oriented doesn't give them that much peace. And Jesus wants you to have peace. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, the first words he said to his disciples is, Peace be with you. What kind of peace? He wants you to have peace with God. That means your conscience toward God, the way you look at God, to know that you, he loves you no matter what. Even though I sin, even though I do these things, he loves me. He wants you to have peace with one another. Learn to live the uh, power of forgiveness. But also, the other part is mercy. Now, what do you mean by mercy? Uh, I describe this as like verse uh, 18 in this passage. It's like receiving grace of God. It missed your mistakes, you get mercy of God. Amidst uh, things you do, God has favor upon you. He's merciful amidst your sins. You know, uh, one of my biggest sins when I was in college was be a C student for the first two years. I'm a Christian, so I'm a C student. <laughs> and, you know, I never thought I would get into grad schools. Uh, you know, um, you heard me say this. I had the second lowest GPA when I entered grad school, you know. Uh, I don't know how I got a doctorate either. I don't know how I got into law school. I, I really do not know. It's by God's mercy. 
I don't know how my wife thinks I'm the best guy in the world for her. I really don't know uh, because uh, sometimes I'm not a great husband, although I think I'm a great husband. She might not. Uh, I do not know how you know, uh, we are accepted by some people. I really don't know. I don't know how God has blessed me financially. I don't know how. It's because God's favor is upon you. You're no different. And those who practice this rule, so this rule he's talking about is not legalism. It's those who practice the grace of God in your life. Those who practice love. And those who stop striving to be the best, but be driven by the grace of God to be the best. See the difference? You're not going to do it on your own. You're going to allow God to work through you to be the best. God's mercy is upon you. His grace is upon you. And he will give you the ability to overcome any obstacles. You know why? His grace is upon you. Isn't that powerful? And that's the transformation we're talking about. And, and so... Live the life of a new creation. Uh, you no longer the past. You don't need to be shameful about the past. You're forgiven. You don't need to worry about what you did in the past. You're forgiven. God has forgotten it. Live the life of unconditional love, agape, that God loves you no matter what. And therefore, I obey God because I love him. Versus, I want to please him. No father wants their children to do things out of obligation because I know they're not that happy. God wants you on your own to obey him. And disobedience is not just only free will, but disobedience is also, I want to please God, therefore I do these things. That's the motivation, and God waits for you to move toward that direction. If you practice that, you'll be transformed. You'll be a new person. And uh, as I think about it, that's what the cross is about, that you're a new person because of that kind of transformation. Love transforms. Obligation transforms you into a wrong type of person but love transforms you to be the person that God wants you to be. Do you want to be that kind of person? Yeah. Amen. Amen, right? So that's what it's about. When we talk about the communion, uh, we've been transformed by the love of God. Uh, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, uh, you know, I hated being a, what you might call an actor. You know, there's a acting to be a Christian. I really know how to do that because I'm a pastor's kid. I'm third generation. I know exactly how to do that. But when I found Christ, I found so much power of genuine love that flows from the heart, transformational. And Jesus was trying to convey that to his disciples. He knew he was going to die, and he wanted to practice genuine love toward them. And on the night he was betrayed, you know, instead of calling the angels, you know, and, you know, People come down from heaven to stop this, an army to stop this. He let it go. He, he wants to do this. Why did he do that? 
so that you can understand free love. So as he broke bread, you know, he, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this and remember something. And in the same manner, he poured wine and said, this is the blood of my new covenant. Drink it in remembrance of me. Why, why did Jesus do all this? He wanted to show his disciples that he really loved them by dying for them. There's no greater love in this world than anyone who would die for you. You know anyone who would die for you? That's what he did. And when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we experienced this freeing love that frees us to be his child, that we can live this life as a new creation. And thus we celebrate the new creation. And those of you who don't know Christ, explore it. We're not going to force you to believe. But explore what it really means to have a new creation, so freeing, so transformational. So we do this to remember. When you met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to remember the joy of being a Christian. Because Christianity is joy. Don't believe the lie that Christianity is depressing because you cannot do anything. Yes, it's freeing experience because you're freed in love of God. So as we partake of this meal, the gifts of God for the people of God, let's pray.